So this morning we share in a sermon about the third tenant of the church covenant. And this is the third of six sermons on the church covenant. And if you don't have the church covenant memorized, well, you're normal. But you may, you have permission to get your phone out and go to OxfordBaptistNC.org and the church covenant is on the front uh, of the church's webpage. You just scroll down a little bit. But I'll read to you the church covenant tenet that we're talking about today in just a moment. Now we're preaching, I'm preaching these six sermons because on the seventh week is our homecoming. And it seems fitting that for six weeks we would articulate who it is we are and who it is we say we are supposed to be and how it is we say we're supposed to live out our faith as a part of Oxford Baptist Church in the days leading up to a celebration of Oxford Baptist Church, a homecoming, and 170th anniversary. And so last week, we shared in the second sermon on this topic, which was that we will not forsake gatherings at the regular activities and events of the church. And the first tenet two weeks ago was about Christian watchfulness, that we will watch over and care and, if necessary, admonish one another so that we can walk faithfully together. Now today we move on to the third tenet of the covenant, which, as I've already given you a preview during the children's sermon, is it addresses who we will be in relation to the world around us. As baptized Christians who are committed to this body of believers, the third tenet of the covenant says that we covenant with one another that as the light of the world and the salt of the earth, we will seek divine guidance that we may deny ungodliness and abstain from worldliness and will walk circumspectly before the world as witnesses for Christ. It's an important tenet that declares who we will be and how we will anticipate being seen as people who are part of Oxford Baptist Church. It is a tenet that is derived from one particular set of scriptures, ones that you probably know and recognize, which is why our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew 5. We're going to read the whole Beatitudes verses 1 through 16. But what you will resonate with is the reminder that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Hear now this reading of Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can, it be, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you're like me or not, because I kind of think I'm weird. But every once in a while, out of nowhere, or seemingly nowhere, something gets said and it just clicks. It just makes sense. It's from a sudden, unexpected place. And this week, it was Jeff Gravely's sports report on Tuesday night during the 10 o'clock Fox, 10 o'clock Fox News episode, I guess you would say. Last weekend, the North Carolina Courage, the women's professional soccer team, went uh, up to the Northwest, Portland, and played in a semifinal game and then played in a championship game and won the National Women's Soccer League Championship. We here in the Triangle have the best women's soccer team in the United States and probably one of the best in the world. Now, the story on the news was about the celebration that they were having, uh, their victory celebration with all of their fans because they had to win this game away from home due to the hurricane. And as they were interviewing the coach, whose name is Paul Riley, I will not re- repeat his or attempt to imitate his accent. I was barely paying attention. I'm sure I was looking at my phone or something. And he says, they are a mission-driven group. They are a mission-driven group. They are not goal-oriented. They are mission-driven. There is no finish line for this team. This team has just won the championship. Last year, they lost in the championship game to the same team. So they avenged their rivals. And on a Tuesday night at about 10.45, as I'm barely listening, not expecting to find anything other than once the sports report is over, I can go to bed. I hear him draw a distinction between mission-driven and goal-oriented. And it sticks with me. It sticks with me enough that I make a note of it. And the next morning, I decide to to dig into this a little bit. I dug into the differences between being mission-driven and goal-oriented. And then as I turned to this 
sermon later in the week, I realized that there's a a contrast between those two things, even within this tenet of the covenant. And so that's what I hope to explain today. We all understand goals. I think we do. Most of us do. The reality is most of us function as goal-oriented people every single day. Whether you use a to-do list or not, the chances are if you have a job, you are either driven by the pressure of goals or driven by the extreme pressure of goals. You have stuff you have to get done. Anyone who is paid by the job is goal-driven because when you're paid by the job, the faster you get the job done, the more jobs you can take on. Generating successful outcomes is a goal-driven orientation. And if I can step into a different sandbox for just a minute, the critique, the common critique that most folks have about, say, standardized testing in our schools is that it's It's unusually goal-oriented. It's a common critique that folks can teach kids to learn how to take a particular kind of test, reach a particular kind of goal, which sometimes exists at the expense of teaching children how to be lifelong learners. You can be good at taking tests, but not necessarily good at learning. Taking tests is goal-oriented. But being mission-driven is supposed to be different. Anything that's mission-driven drives us towards some out-there guiding star of a desired outcome, but the focus is on the practice that gets you to that star, not getting to that guiding star in the end. A mission-driven person or team can never say that the ends justify the means because it is the means by which we reach the end that matters most. The belief being, of course, that if you engage in a particular set of means, a particular way of being, the outcomes will be inevitable. And so the coach of the North Carolina Courage is praising his team not just because they reached the goal of winning the championship, but because they did everything this year the right way, and then winning the championship was the inevitable outcome in his mind. So do you see the dichotomy? Do you see the difference? When one is goal-oriented, it is simply about what you accomplish, no matter how you accomplish it. When one is mission-driven, it's about how you go about accomplishing something. It is, like I shared with the children, how you play the game that matters. Now, what does that have to do with our faith and our covenant? Let's think about that. Hopefully, you know today that God loves you. Hopefully you know that God loves you and has forgiven you and and cares for you and wants a deep and meaningful relationship with you. Jesus loved you so much that he died for your sins and Easter Sunday's biggest meaning comes when we all experience that eternal life that Jesus was resurrected for. 
That is a certain end that we're headed towards. But, well, like Loretta Lynn saying, Lord, I want to go to heaven, but I'm not really in a hurry. Right? The end of the Christian life is an eternal life with God. But the Christian life is not just about reaching that end. It's about how we get there. And the covenant talks about that when it says, as the salt of the earth and light of the world, we will seek divine guidance. We may may deny ungodliness and abstain from worldliness, but we will walk circumspectly before the world as witnesses for Christ. I see three elements here. Salt and light who seek divine guidance, who two, deny ungodliness and abstain from worldliness, and three, walk circumspectly as witnesses for Christ. Now, any time I've done a Bible study about the covenant with folks, the thing that sticks out, the thing that comes up, the thing that they talk about quickly, right away, is the denial of ungodliness and the abstention from worldliness. And when we consider our upbringings, when we consider our fathers and our foremothers and the way that they wanted us to behave, we realize that behaving rightly in a lot of ways is a goal-oriented view, a goal-oriented way of walking through life. Christians do and don't do certain things. They deny ungodliness. They abstain from worldliness. But both of those actions focus on an immediate outcome. They focus on specific actions that generate right results. And it makes me wonder, is that the only way to understand our faith? Is it the only way to interact with God through the world? By just doing right action? There's a saying in consultant consultant circles that money follows mission. They'll tell the church that when they walk in and the church says, we want to raise more money. And they'll say, well, what's your mission? And is the money following your mission? But another place that many of you have probably seen this is that TV show called Shark Tank. Have you watched Shark Tank? I haven't seen very many episodes, but I've seen enough of them to be able to see what's going on sometimes. And, well, and in Shark Tank, what happens is a person who has a product or a business walks into the Shark Tank, and there are three or four or five investors there, and they're pitching their business to the investor to get the investor to invest in them so that they can grow their business. Now, I've seen a few episodes, and I've seen enough to know that, that, it's, that investors will invest in a product that they think is a good product. They're not going to invest in a product that, that's not going to sell, not going to make any money. But the investors almost never buy a product if they don't believe the, in the person who is delivering the product. If they don't believe in the person who gives the pitch, in the way the person carries themselves, and in the way they think that that person will embrace and experience and survive through specific trials, 
they don't care how good the product is. Because the product is just an end result. You see, on Shark Tank, they can't just buy end results. They have to invest in a person and a mission and a process by which the good results are most likely. They're investing in people who are mission-driven, not just goal-oriented. And so when we look back to the third tenet of the covenant, and we think, as salt and light, we seek divine guidance, and we walk circumspectly before others, we realize that these are two, or we should realize, these are two mission-driven statements because they define how we will operate. They define how we will operate without limiting how we operate to a specific outcome. You see, anybody, Christian or not, can adhere to our definition of avoiding worldliness and denying ungodliness. What's important is why we're doing that. Our life mission as salt of the earth and light of the world is to engage in practices and processes that fulfill the mission of growing our relationship with God. And then, as mission-driven Christians who seek divine guidance and walk circumspectly with the Lord, we then fulfill automatically the goal-based outcomes of denying ungodliness and abstaining from worldliness Because those things are not a part of who we are anymore. Who we are determines what we do. So if we start by nurturing our relationship with God, and then we will realize that the specific actions of how we act every day take care of themselves. Which is to say, in faith, I'm not sure the end ever justifies the means. Because the goal is not to reach death. The goal is to embody a way of life that helps all of us to know and feel and share the love of God. How we do that determines the quality of life that we have, the depth of the relationships that we have, and our ability to fulfill our covenant as Christians who are members of Oxford Baptist Church. I think our call is to be mission-driven disciples. And I think when we're mission-driven disciples who know that we walk as witnesses and who seek divine guidance, the ungodliness and the worldliness take care of themselves. Our covenant says that as the light of the world and the salt of the earth, we will seek divine guidance that we may deny ungodliness and abstain from worldliness and will walk circumspectly before the world as witnesses for Christ. This is the third tenet of our covenant. This is is the third thing that reflects how it is we will live our lives together. And so since we know that our actions and our behaviors and the way others see us matters, we must step back 
and realize that managing right action is not enough. It's not what we do. It's it's how we do it. It's how we seek to become God's children. And therefore, I believe our covenant calls us to do something better than do this, don't do that. Because anybody can do that for a little while. Anyone can get the actions right and can go through the motions. As the salt of the earth and the light of the world, we are, we are to do it differently. We need to be more than people who gather at the right time, who avoid worldly habits, and are considered nice, upstanding citizens. Because we want to truly change and reshape our lives in the world because of the relationship we have with God. We want to, as salt and light, deeply understand our place as as beloved children of God. And we want to grow into the knowledge of the height and the depth and the width and the greatness of God's love. And that's not a goal that you reach by saying it's a goal that you have. It's a goal that you reach by embodying your faith in a certain way. So we are his witnesses in the world. We are the ones who others may look to for help. And when they see us, I hope they see, yes, that we do care deeply. But we care deeply out of a deep expression of our love for God and our faithfulness to God as God places a call upon the world. And I hope that they will see that we are mission-driven And that our mission-drivenness helps us to thrive because it keeps us from becoming victims of our shortcomings and it helps us to truly best be the salt of the earth and the light of the world who deeply reflect God's love. And so today, it is a process. It is not a destination. It is a mission, not a goal. It is a journey we share in together and I pray that we all will seek God's help and sharing in that mission together today. Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy and loving God, we give you thanks for this day that we have. We give you thanks for your call upon our lives and we give you thanks for the ways that you have shared your your love with us. Lord, as your people, as people called to be your people, Help us today to embrace the mission of being your children and not just the right action of denying ungodliness. Lord, our actions are important, but our actions are best expressed when they are a fulfillment of who we are and who you are helping us to become. And so, Lord, may we embrace the mission of walking with you and of seeking your guidance so that the rest takes care of itself. Lord, help us to commit to walking with you anew today and anew each day. And this we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is both our mission and our destination. Amen.